Hi, I'm David. And I'm Grace, and this is the Apostolic Witness Podcast. With each episode, we're going to be taking an inside look into this great organization that makes up ALJC. So join us today from the comfort of our own home as we speak to today's guest. Welcome, everybody, to the Apostolic Witness Podcast. We are really excited that you are here today because me and Grace have a very interesting episode for y'all today. We are so honored to have Brother Joel Reveille with us in interviewing him today. So, Brother Reveille, thank you so much for being on this podcast with Grace and I. It's an honor to be here with you all. Uh, so we are actually more connected than some of our past interviewees because our fathers knew each other very well. Right. Uh, many years ago, back in the 1980s, my father was a Bible college professor at an ALJC Bible college called Apostolic Bible College in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, ran by Bishop Don Johnson. And uh, once upon a time, Pastor Tim Gill was Bible college student, Brother Gill, in, yes, that, sir. in that college, and my father was one of his professors. Yes, sir. So it's really interesting to see that now through those generations that we're still connected, still family, friends, and so we count that a great honor. I love that. And so beginning in, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us a little bit just about your background, your upbringing, and then kind of dive into your education. Sure. So I was raised in the truth. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. I spent 23 years of my life under Bishop Don Johnson at Gray Road Church there in Memphis. And so I got the Holy Ghost when I was six years old. First grade, I'll tell you a quick personal story. Um, I was I was six when I got the Holy Ghost, and I went to school that Monday after receiving the Holy Ghost. And my first grade teacher would ask all of us as we came through the door, "How was your weekend? What happened to you?" And I informed my first grade teacher that I got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so the first person I preached to was Miss Jordan in the first grade. That's awesome. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. And so continuing the story here, I um I grew up in the truth there. I went to the University of Memphis for secular college, and I had a double major in mathematics and physics, Bachelor of Science in both of those subjects. And then when I was 23, I took that degree, the undergrad degree, and then I went to Michigan and spent six years of my life in graduate school getting a Master's of Science in Physics and a Ph.D. in Physics from the University of Michigan. Wow. Now, let me back up uh, one inch here. I have to admit... I felt the call of God on my life when I was a late teen, but I did what most ministers do, and I ran from it. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, very bluntly, I saw the ministers who came through to preach, and none of their cars worked well, and they were all broke, and they, <laughs> right. they wore old clothes, and they didn't have insurance. And I thought, oh, no, okay, I want to have a job with a salary. I want right. to have a, a decent car and a, yes, a decent uh, set of clothes to wear to, you know, to church. And um, I saw those accoutrements of life, and I thought, okay, uh, I want to do something else. And I ran from my calling for 10 years. Wow. I got a secular education, wow. and I was successful in that old life that I was in, I actually got a job at the uh, St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. When I finished my degree from the University of Michigan, I came back to my hometown of Memphis, and I had my dream job. So think about, people who are listening to this podcast, think about your one prayer request that you most certainly desire from God. Think about the one thing you're asking Him for. I asked God for that job at St. Jude. Mm -hmm. It was my dream career. I was working there for about six weeks, and that's where God began to deal with me. And uh, I had what I always wanted. Right, yes, but sir. But then the Lord impressed me that—never forget this. The Lord impressed me that I had what I wanted to have. 
And I'd spent 10 years mm. of my life doing what I wanted to do. Wow. And now would I do what he wanted me to do? And now would I have what he wanted me? Wow. That's awesome. So I had to live by faith. I yes, bit sir. the bullet. I left my career as a scientist. I left my job from St. Jude Children's Hospital May 1st, 2014. Wow. So this year shall be nine years, Marks, that I have left the science career in the rearview mirror behind right. and ventured out as a full-time evangelist. Wow. wow. That's an inspiring <laughs> story on very, very many fronts. That's yeah. That's a long time to pursue that and then to have... Quite a change in your direction. It was a shock to me, too. I was a very orderly person. So yes, when sir. you think of science, think of order, yes, sir. regimental structure, and then think about being that guy and then becoming an evangelist <laughs> right. who has an empty calendar when he first starts out his yeah. first year traveling. Yes, sir. So I had to learn how to live without having the regiment, without having the mm. schedule or the plan, wow. and just trust in the Lord with all of my heart, like the Proverbs say. Right. Did wow. you ever... Um, like whenever you felt that calling to leave, did you ever feel like, you're like, man, I have all of these years of education. What am I going to do? Leave that behind and go follow God. I mean, yes, you absolutely. can have faith in God, but that's still scary. That mm-hmm. you I have faith in God, but I still got to eat, you know, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> on Monday. Like, absolutely. I, I have alone, faith in right? God, but I still have to pay the light bill and the phone bill. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So there is that secular side and that economic side of it. So yeah. my first year, so, People who see my current ministry and see me preaching in California or New York, let me talk to you about my first year evangelizing. All right. So I preached 12 times total my first year. (laughs) I thought I was (laughs) backslid. I thought I was backslid. I thought I missed the will of God. And I thought, what am I doing? I'm going to repent God and go back to my science career. So for any evangelist listening to the podcast here or any people considering evangelizing, don't let your first year discourage you. Awesome. Trust God in spite of your rough patch. Mm. Keep plowing on and I promise you that God will open the door for your ministry. Your Absolutely. gift will make room for you. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's that, awesome. That is awesome. So um, we had talked about your education. So now what was it like being a Christian in that scientific world? That is such a, that's a different world and a different people in their minds? Great question. And if I am not careful, I'll spend 30 minutes on this question. Right here. <laughs> yeah. That's perfectly because fine. I have science stories. Mm-hmm. So in my career as a scientist, I met all walks of life, every religion. I had a boss at one time who was a Muslim, still is a practicing Muslim. I had a boss who is a homosexual. I had bosses who were denominational Christians. I had coworkers who were Hindus and Buddhists. And honestly, a lot of those people I still talk to. And every so often on my social media, I'll see a thumbs up or a Mm. comment from one of them. So they're all still watching their, yeah. their Christian friend on, on Facebook. Right. And never discount that the people that you meet in life are accidents. They're mm. not, and you're preaching to them even if you don't stand in a pulpit. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Keep those friendships. You're witnessing to them. Yeah. As far as the science career went, I met the interesting part for me was meeting denominational Christians in my grad school days. So when you're in graduate school in physics or any of the hard scientists, 
you're around some decently intelligent people yeah. who give you some arguments about the Bible that you may not have heard. Mm. And they made me a better Christian because they wow. made me have to plow in the Word mm-hmm. of God mm. and study more to answer their arguments. Yeah. And here was the main encounter I had in denominational uh, Christians and Christianity. I discovered that denominational Christianity is buffet Christianity. Mm-hmm. You will find that random verses that you quote to any out there uh, Christian may be a verse they have not encountered before in their life. Right. So just quoting Acts 2.38, uh, speaking the chapters in 1 Corinthians about speaking in tongues in yes, 1 sir. Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter you know 14 there. You may be quoting a passage that they have never delved into deeply. So very quickly, you find there's a few verses here, a few verses here, a few, uh, call them sword verses here that they quote, you know, just kind of like jack-in-the-box verses they can quote from their memories. And that's the totality of what their belief system may hang on. So I would encourage us as apostolics, don't become a three-verse Christian, mm. because yeah. if you are, you are vulnerable to denominational mm. arguments. Become a Christian that has the full menu of the Word of God. Right. Read every chapter. Read every book. Know what the Bible says, and you will be able to answer arguments from other denominations. Yeah, That's awesome. That's awesome. That is, absolutely. Yeah. This I'm, I apologize, this wasn't necessarily in our notes, but I, I wanted to ask this question. Did you ever get any kind of backlash for going forward in the science community as a Christian growing up? That's a great question. Given the modern era that we live in, not very much. Okay. Perhaps a generation ago I would have. Yes, sir. But in the church I attended, there was a Bible college there, and there were college uh, students and people with degrees there. We had yes, a sir. medical doctor that attended the church there in Memphis at one time. And in Michigan, the same thing. So in our modern organizations, uh, no. I, That's people awesome. People very welcoming to us. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So speaking on your background in research, correct, that's what you did, mm-hmm. uh, not only in the years that you spent in your education, but in your job that you had there at St. Jude. How has that avenue of research helped your ministry now? I repurpose those tools for yes, the ministry. Mm-hmm. So think of a scientist not as somebody with a lab coat. Well, they, they do wear lab coats, bless God, but um, <laughs> I did at one time. Uh, but for most of my life, what a scientist meant was you're a detective with microscopes. Mm-hmm. Think of being a detective, and you're trying to figure out who done it with lasers and microscopes and computer simulations. You're trying to figure out wow. something very complicated at the microscopic level and saying, okay, what's going on here? It's a puzzle. Mm. You're putting together the pieces there of evidence. So take those tools of looking at evidence and delving deep like a detective with these scientific tools and now apply that in the theological realm. Mm. I take the Word of God and I pull a thread of a story in somebody's life. Okay, Um, Absalom. I have a whole sermon that I preached here at this church last revival on Absalom. So Absalom, when you study out his life, he became a man who had unforgiveness. And that unforgiveness actually translated later on, if you keep reading the chapters after the chapter about Amnon and Tamar, he actually violates his own ethical code. Mm. He got mad at Amnon because Amnon forced his sister Tamar. But then Absalom in 1 Samuel, I think, or 2 Samuel chapter 16, he actually does the exact same sin. Mm. So, Pull the thread on somebody's life. As a researcher 
Theologically, I try and read every passage and every scripture about a figure that I'm preaching about. And so the same tools and the same mindset of science, called a science mindset, yes, sir. also applies in this realm. Wow. If I can just brag on you for a second in your preaching, because you are the ep- like epitome of a preacher that says, I have read this verse Hundreds of times, the same thing, (laughs) and I completely jumped over what he just preached a message on, like Mm -hmm. you were preaching about the missing tribe last night at our church. And I'm just like, it's amazing just what different personalities, mm -hmm. different people, and it's always like so simple too. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. how did I never even catch that? Yeah, Yeah. that's so awesome. My father taught me years ago: the word of God has a cord of truth, and you're tugging on one string in that cord. Yes, sir. Start pulling harder. Delve deep in the Word of God. Pull the whole cord of truth on that subject out. My grandfather had something very similar. He'd say, if you pull a thread in generation, or generation, Genesis, the pages in Revelation would fold. I love Bishop Walls. And so it, it was always mm-hmm. connected. Yeah. So with the modern idea of how science kind of disagrees or disproves the Bible and the Christian world sometimes denying facts that science brings, um, how does those two truly combine? Because I sometimes, science, if you look at science, it will even just show how God is even bigger, even more complex. Mm -hmm. So let me answer this humorously. Yeah. Let's talk about science. Awesome. 1978. (laughs) Let's do it. Go on YouTube and Google Global Freeze Leonard Mm -hmm. Nimoy, and you will pull up an old documentary on YouTube from 1978. And it's a public documentary about how the danger of our globe is about to freeze. And one of the alternative plans to stop the threat of a global freeze and a global ice age was to detonate some nuclear bombs at the poles and melt all the ice caps to stop this apocalyptic global freeze and new ice age that was coming on. That was science, 1978. Mm -hmm. Wow. first answer to you is that science, quote unquote, in air quotes here, has changing interpretations depending on the generation that you are. Yeah. Let's talk about science 1890. I quoted this in the Kingdom Link podcast. Yes, sir. Okay. In 1890, people believed in something called the luminiferous ether. Google that. The ether theory. They believed that all of space was filled with fluid Yes, and sir. that fluid that filled all of space was called the ether. Why'd they believe in something that crazy? Well, they knew that, that light could move through a vacuum. And how can light waves move through empty space? There has to be something in empty space that we cannot see. So they all believed that space was filled with fluid. Now, that sounds kind of dumb right now. <laughs> but I'm giving you these examples for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Because the, the current interpretations at certain points, will sound ridiculous a few generations later. Yes, sir. Including some of our modern scientific theories. Okay, evolution. They believe that random mutations in DNA generated nanometer-sized machinery inside of a cell. There's a machine called RNA polymerase that can read DNA with a 100 million to 1 fidelity. That means it makes one error every 100 million base pairs of DNA that it reads. I don't think that evolved. (laughs) So when I say all that, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? Yes, sir. And I believe, if the Lord tarries, that current theories like the theory of evolution, will sound stupid mm-hmm. and ridiculous yes, sir. in later generations. Yeah. Wow. What is one, sorry, this is 
what is like one thing whenever you were learning that you're like, wow, God did that, that, that one like little cell did something. You're like, that's only God. There's nothing that mm-hmm. else besides God could have done that. The on off switches on DNA. So there's something called repressor and activator proteins on-off switches for genes. Yes, sir. Genes in the DNA of bacteria and human beings as well in all biological life have these little proteins that latch onto DNA and will turn off that set of genes. It's called repressing those Mm -hmm. genes. Repressor proteins turn off those genes. There are proteins called activators that'll latch onto a DNA segment and switch on those genes and multiply how much those genes are Mm. transcribed. It'll turn them on to a higher production level. Wow. So those things are like, okay, I don't think that evolved either. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, sir. Like, I don't think anything else could have done that. Right. That's, that's wow. That's powerful. Let me give you this 60-second uh, kind of talk here. For 30 seconds here, let me describe a cell. A cell is as complicated as a city. I love a cell has its own hall of records called the DNA in the nucleus. The cell, every cell in your body, and you have close to 100 trillion cells in your body, every cell has a power plant, many power plants called the mitochondria or mitochondrion. Every cell has a post office called the Golgi apparatus that, quote, mails or ships things, mm-hmm. a shipping and receiving center in the cell. Cells have their own highways, the microtubules and cytoskeletal elements upon on which those shipments and mailed letters are mailed and shipped along those roads, quote-unquote, inside the cells. Cells have their own recycling center. It's called the lysosome. Every cell in your body has all of those nanometer-sized implements. Wow. That didn't come by random chance. No, sir. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how <laughs> scientists could see all of that and yeah. then come to the conclusion that because of one cell yeah. that all of that came about. It just blows my mind. That's that's amazing. And I think it's so interesting that your knowledge, like we were talking a little bit earlier in connection with Scripture, is that your knowledge and all these years you spent working and building that craft of research, God has now shifted into his word and into his kingdom. And that's such a powerful thing because we could put so much emphasis on that education. I'm thankful for it. But Praise God man. can use that time mm-hmm. because he had a plan for you. Amen. And I think one that's so cool. One more science point I want to throw in here for your listeners. Okay, Genesis chapter 1. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Okay, let me give you some astrobiology right now mm. and astrochemistry. So we have this field of astronomy called spectroscopy, which is fancy terms meaning we can point telescopes into space and by the spectral lines, by the light lines in a telescope, we can tell what elements, what chemical elements are in gases and clouds mm. in outer space like our solar system. Yes, sir. And so from that, we can tell... At the most common elements of the universe are hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, and the most common molecules, combinations of elements, are the very same combinations of elements that we find here on Earth. So what God did when he made us, if you look at the elemental composition of the human body, we are made from the most common elements of the universe. Yes, hydrogen, carbon, mm-hmm. nitrogen, yes, and oxygen from the most common abundant elements of the universe god made the most complex creations wow. in existence <laughs> wow that opens up <laughs> your mind to so much yeah. that's that's amazing that is so amazing wow. and we just take so much of that for granted amen and that's so powerful 
So kind of going to our next question around that is this is something that I was really wanting to talk about with you specifically. This episode's going to come out in the Easter season, you know, Easter being, as we're recording this, being tomorrow. What stands out to you with the story of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ from a scientist's point of view? The evidence for it. Mm. The short answer. There is more evidence for the life and resurrection of Jesus than for many events that supposedly occurred in the ancient world. There wow. is more evidence for his resurrection than there was for the Trojan War in ancient Greece wow. or than certain ancient world uh, battles that happened between, say, the Babylonians and the Egyptians yes, that are only recorded in one tablet in one place. So I'll, I'm going to borrow a, a an element from Lee Strobel here from one of his books. Lee Strobel discussed how Take a book like Homer's The Odyssey. Yes, sir. There are about 500 manuscripts in existence today from the ancient world times of Homer's The Odyssey. That number for the Old Testament is about 50,000. Wow. There's about 50,000 manuscripts. I'm showing you the fidelity of the Old Testament and New Testament manuscripts from the time approximately of their authorship. Yes, sir. To the modern day, there is better there is better fidelity for this text of the Word of God than there is for almost any other ancient world text, frankly. Wow. So you can trust the fidelity, at least, of Scripture. And we have Josephus and other historians that discuss events around Jesus' crucifixion. Yes, sir. So from every standpoint, historical, theological, evidential, we have Scripture's history and testimony of his resurrection. Wow. Evidence. Yes, sir. That's amazing. There's no way that you could disprove that that actually happened. Amen. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And so kind of closing, <laughs> you are evangelist. And how long have you been an evangelist? Nine years. Nine years. Yeah. So as everybody knows, evangelists usually go out to eat all mm-hmm. the time. Hallelujah. Anytime, <laughs> anytime a pastor comes, they take the, you out to eat, I'm sure. And so out of all of the restaurants, out of all of the um, food that you have eaten. What is like the best thing that you have gotten through the Mediterranean? Years? Oh, really? Mediterranean. I love Middle Eastern cuisine. Really? And where I base out of in Auburn Hills, Michigan, Michigan has a huge community of Middle Easterners. I love Mediterranean food. I love really? hummus. I love tabbouleh. I love really? fatouche salad. I love all of it. Wow. I would have not have guessed. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah. I like Mediterranean food. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to discuss? Anything other, other than that? Let me take two minutes here Absolutely. and talk to every Christian listening to this podcast who may encounter an atheist. Ooh, um, that's how good. do you deal with atheists in your life? Mm-hmm. Throw the questions back at them. My mm. problem with skeptics is skeptics are not skeptical enough of their own personal skepticisms. Wow. The I doubter see. does not doubt his own personal doubts enough. Mm. As many questions as they may try and pepper you with, fire back. Make them present evidence. Mm-hmm. An arguer with you will want you to present evidence for your faith, and they have a whole slew of fundamentalist atheist beliefs and dogmas of their own unbelief that they are not fully shoring up in their minds. Why don't you believe in the supernatural? It's a philosophical rejection, not an evidential rejection. In plain English, they are rejecting the supernatural because they want to, Wow! not because of any evidence against it. Wow. wow, that's amazing. Well, and I think a lot of times, especially with atheists, is that 
I know I've fallen victim to this, is that I want to prove God through the Bible, but that's a book that atheists don't really believe in. I think that's so funny when people are talking to atheists and they're like, well, read this book. I'm like, it's just like a playbook to them mm-hmm. at that point. I mean, it has all this history, but if they don't believe that, it, it right. makes no sense to them. But what you said there was so true is that they doubt so much, but they don't doubt their doubts. They believe yeah. an amoeba can become an elephant. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Some, exactly. A single-celled-ish organism can transform over billions of years into a complex biological life form like a human being. <laughs> that's dogma. That, that's, yeah, but yes, they sir. don't believe um, history that has been around for thousands of years. Right, correct. <laughs> Absolutely. Correct. Well, Brother Revely, thank you so much for being on this podcast. We account it a great honor. And to all of the pastors out there, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Probably my phone number or my email. My email is jreveley at gmail.com. My phone number is 901-517-4268. And I want to tell every pastor who has preached me that you have blessed me. It's been an honor to be in each and every pulpit in the kingdom of God. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Brother Reveley, for being on the Apostolic Witness Podcast. We counted it a great honor. So please don't forget share, like, and subscribe, and put this out because we know that this episode could really help somebody. Thank you all. It's been a blessing. Thank you. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more content and info, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, make sure to like, share, and subscribe, and give us a great review. And don't forget to get your quarterly subscription to The Apostolic Witness. Alrighty, that's a wrap. Okay, bye.